Welcome to Reality Check, the podcast that helps teenagers find their own answer to the common question, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm Ariana, your host, and today I'm excited to interview Amy Yale Lair, who is a retired radiologist. Welcome, Amy. My name is Amy Yale Lair, and I live in Ithaca, New York, and I am a retired radiologist. What did you want to be when you were a teenager? I wanted to be a doctor when I was a teenager. I My father was a, a doctor. He was an orthopedic surgeon. And I enjoyed going to the hospital with him and watching him do things in the emergency room, see patients, and just was always really interested in that. Did you have a specific field you knew you wanted to go into? No, not at all. I didn't know anything about radiology. What college did you go to and why? And did you declare a major for that? So I went to Swarthmore College, which is a small college outside of Philadelphia. I wanted to be, I grew up in Ithaca where I live now, and I wanted to not be in Ithaca. I wanted to go to a smaller school and I felt like this was a good fit for me. And that's why I chose it. When I got there, I said that I was pre-med and I studied, I think the first year I took like an intro chemistry and biology class and whatever else. And I really, I didn't like the atmosphere of being a pre-med. I felt like it was really competitive and just not what I wanted. So I decided I wasn't going to go to medical school. And I still studied a lot of biology, but I took a lot of botany classes. We did fun field trips to various DuPont estates and to the Pine Barrens that are pretty near. And, but I also studied, I mean, it's a, it's a small liberal arts college and you had distribution requirements. So I sort of studied the gamut of fields and I decided the end of my, towards the end of my junior year that in fact, I did want to go to medical school. So at that point I needed to take organic chemistry, which is a, at that point was a prerequisite for getting into medical school. And so I ended up taking organic chemistry in summer school here at Cornell. And so that worked out really well. And I took a lot of more hard not by not botany, but things like microbiology and cell biology and trying to think what else, sort of more nitty gritty kind of biology classes my last year of college. So since I kind of decided on late on the the decision and a lot was going on in my life at that particular time when I was graduating from college, I didn't apply to medical school, right, to go immediately. The first thing I did when I got finished with with college was get married to my husband, Steve. And we took a year off and I got a job in a laboratory at Upstate Medical Center in Syracuse. And so we lived in Syracuse for a year. And then ultimately I applied to Upstate medical school and got in and went there. And then how did you choose radiology in the end? 
Medical school education has changed quite a bit between when I went from 1978 to 1982 to the way it is now. At that time, in the late 70s, early 80s, you would spend the first two years really doing lecture-type classes and lab classes, but not really much exposure at all to clinical medicine, just a teeny bit of exposure to diagnostic procedures, like how do you listen to a heart, how do you draw blood, that kind of thing. So in the third year, you had rotations that you took. And first of all, I guess in the second year, going backwards, you study things like pathology and kind of the how diseases occur. And the way that I learned a lot of the information was by reading um, the New England Journal of Medicine. They had different cases, difficult cases that were presented. And I was just really drawn to the imaging as a way to make the diagnosis. And I think for me, I've always had a really good ability to visualize three-dimensional structures out of a flat piece of paper. So, you know, I'm just a bit, I think I'm just a very visual person in terms of what I see. And that's something I'm really good at. And I, I found that things like listening to hearts with a stethoscope, not so much for me. Not, I wasn't, I wasn't very good at that and didn't feel that comfortable doing that, but I loved the imaging The other thing about radiology is there are a lot of procedures that you can do if you want to. So there are a lot of procedures and I like, I like doing that too, kind of hands-on things. So that was my, I think those two things were my impetus. I think that it may be a little bit of a lifestyle choice, but not so much as the way people think of it. It, As a radiologist, as a working full-time radiologist, you are very, very busy and if you're scheduled to be on, you basically need to be there. There's no, I mean, I guess if you're on your deathbed, I think in the time I practiced, I might have missed a day and a half of work for being sick. Wow. It's just not something that you do. So you have to stay healthy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you say choosing radiology was a lifestyle choice then, if it was well, as busy? I think that I thought it was more than it really was. I think that you can make lifestyle decisions where whatever you decide to go into. But, you know, people kind of think of radiology as not a direct patient care profession. You're more, sometimes people would say a radiologist is a doctor's doctor because the studies are done, the the information is conveyed to the referring physician who then decides on a course of treatment for a patient. That's not quite as true today as it was 30 years ago because patients really demand to know what the results are from their tests directly from the radiologists oftentimes now, Mm. which did not happen early on in my career. So as a radiologist, what are the options for 
employment, I guess? Like, is it possible to have your own practice or do you always have to work at a hospital or a big facility like that? No, you can have, there's a, there's quite a range. First of all, you can be a professor of radiology, which I did for a little while, not a full professor, but a associate professor and teach residents and be in a larger teaching hospital and be more subspecialized. You can work in a private practice solely. You can have an imaging center where you do a certain, you could do potentially all types of radiology or you could do a subset of radiology. Radiology actually turns out to be a pretty diverse field. In Ithaca, I really practiced as a general radiologist but I had subspecialty interest in mammography and in pediatric radiology, but I did all kinds of radiology, including CT scans and MRIs and ultrasounds and nuclear medicine studies. So it's, it, it's a, a huge um, amount of information. So a lot of radiologists, if they're in larger practices, in bigger places in bigger cities, they'll subspecialize. Mm-hmm. So there definitely are a lot of mammography centers. There are centers that do MRI. There are centers that do CT and MRI. All of those plain films, like if you hurt your leg, you need an x-ray or whatever. But I would say it used to be very in the 90s going into the 2000s it was very common to have private practices that would be affiliated with a hospital but not owned or employed you wouldn't be employed by the hospital and that's still I think often the case but I think more and more there are there's been consolidation of radiology practices so that there are actually huge mega groups that are managed by a person with a business degree and you know kind of very diverse in in the way it's managed and not not from the radiologist down but really from a business organization down to this huge group groups of hundreds so what did you do specifically? Did you have your own practice or did you work for one of those companies? Uh, so well, after I did my radiology training is for me, it was four years of radiology residency. And then I did a fifth year as a pediatric radiology fellow. And I did all of that in Baltimore, both at University of Maryland Hospital and then at Johns Hopkins Medical Center. So after I finished my pediatric radiology fellowship at Hopkins, I returned to the University of Maryland and I was on staff there for three years as a pediatric radiologist and sonographer, an ultrasound radiologist. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for that, you know, I would um, run those departments in conjunction with other people and teach residents. Then we decided to move from the Washington, Baltimore area back to Ithaca in 1990. So since at that point, I joined Radiology Associates of Ithaca, which was a, and still is a private practice group that's affiliated with our local hospital. So we did not own any of the equipment, 
we were responsible for covering the radiology practice 24-7, the group of us. And the numbers of radiologists varied. When I started, there were four, and then it increased in pretty short order to six, no, to five, and then to six. And, you know, it's sort of gone up and down. I think it's Mm -hmm. probably more people now, but I'm not there anymore. So I did a little research on you, and I see that you're board certified. What does that mean? So to be board certified, you in radiology, that also has changed. But when I went through your fourth year of residency, you took an incredibly difficult, vast written test that included a whole huge section on medical physics, which really was quite a challenge, but, but also includes information in all the different parts of radiology. It's a written test. So you need to pass the written test. And that's done in the fall of your fourth year. And then in the spring of your fourth year, towards the end, you would go to a a tiny little place in Kentucky that I seem to have spaced out on and take the oral boards. And that is the height of anxiety producing. You would go from tester to tester along with a myriad of other people and spend about half an hour with eight different people getting tested in each of the areas. And they would show you basically one of the ways that you learn radiology, in addition to just practicing and reading a lot of cases, is to have these case conferences where you're shown unknown cases. And you need to look at the study, whatever type of study it is, analyze it, make the pertinent findings, and then give a differential diagnosis, which means a list of the possible uh, diseases that could cause that Mm -hmm. set of findings. So you basically, you were, you know, on the hook for doing that and you needed to pass all the sections. I think it's not, it's not the same now, but I'm, I can't, I can't tell you exactly how it is. Mm -hmm. Do all different types of doctors have to do that? Or is it just radiology specifically? It's very common for, well, I think all the different subsets of medicine have a board to Mm -hmm. get certified. And most, I mean, it's not, I can't tell you what the pass rate is. I know that the pass rate of the written boards when I did it was maybe 60%. You can't take the oral boards till you pass the written boards but I don't know what it is now, but I would say when you're looking for a physician, it's a good idea to look for somebody who's board certified. Switching gears a little bit, when you were practicing, what would an average day look like for you? I would be at work ready to go by 7.30 in the morning. My, the days wouldn't always start then, but they would often start on the dot at eight. So I would need to get there early. In the early days of practicing, there weren't computers like there are now. So all of the x-rays we got were on film. So we had offices and we had large sets of view boxes, which are light boxes. It would be like an array of eight over eight view boxes. And 
that would be one place you would read. But if you were reading, say, the plane films that were done overnight in the emergency room, you know, to look for hands, arms, chests, abdomens, that type of thing, they would be put up on a rotating viewer and that would be hung for you. And you would basically, it's piecework. So your responsibility was looking at the x-rays and imaging studies, whatever they were, and dictating a, a report, which included indicating what, why the test was being done and the findings and the, what your impression was of them. And then if you found something abnormal, often if it was significant, it would a little time out to call the referring physician and let them know what was going on. And again, in those earlier days, there were a lot of physicians that would come down to the department to consult with the radiologists about difficult cases. At uh, lunchtime, often we would have conferences with clinicians to talk about cases. That was particularly true with the cancer patients that would have multiple, multiple studies. If I was doing ultrasound, I would often go in and the there would be a technician that produced the study and took the images, but I would often go in and take a look because that can be quite operator dependent and I want it, would want to see it actually in real time. So you fast forward to the 2005 maybe or so, uh, it, it's just radiology as a field has just changed tremendously since the time I've started with the advent mm -hmm. of computers. When I started, a CT scan of the brain would be a study that would take a maybe half an hour. Now it may take 30 seconds. And, it's, it, and the images are much, much, much better in terms of what you can actually see. So the other thing about the imaging now with uh, the presence of computers is that the data sets are huge. So instead of getting kind of maybe a slice, you know, continuous slices that are individual and each of them has a finite amount of information, the current studies do kind of a spiral thing. So you go like this and you can get these tiny thin images. So you have, instead of 10 to 15 images, you might have a hundred images to look at. And the, they are looked at now on computer monitors, very high resolution computer monitors that are large and vertically oriented typically with an array of images on them. So it's, it tends to be solitary work, a lot of it. The fun part about it for me was always doing the consultations with the referring physicians and with my colleagues. You have to be willing to have delayed gratification because you oftentimes don't find out if you're right or wrong until you know quite a ways down, down the pike. I did a fair amount of mammography I never really did much mammography when I was in my training, but when I came to Ithaca, I was the only woman and mammography has lots and lots of national standards and national guidance about both technical and in terms of quality control. 
professionally. So I was in charge of that and would put together different, uh, basically little tests for the radiologist to make sure everybody was kind of on track and also keeping track of cases that we missed because there is a fairly high miss rate in radiology. Some sometimes up to 30%, you would be really shocked probably to to hear that you can miss a mass that's like the size of, bigger than the size of a golf ball in somebody's lungs. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's all, you have to realize that all the structures from the front to the back, they're lying on top of each other. So, and the heart is there, the ribs are crossing over, there are blood vessels, all this stuff and it, they're, on a plain x-ray, they all look the same density. So mm-hmm. you, you, know, you develop methods of evaluating an x-ray to minimize that, but yeah, it can be pretty humbling. You, you mentioned that you did specially ultrasound or mammography sometimes. How would that work in relation to the plain ones, as you said? Would you rotate through per day or during the day or just like hop in to ultrasound when you're needed? Yeah, it was, it was usually that you would, you would do say maybe ultrasound and plain film so that the ultrasound, you could go in and out of when you needed to, and just keep reading the plain films in between. If somebody got, was doing CT and they got really backed up because it was really, really busy, you would pick up one or two of those cases. So really a lot of camaraderie and just trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, help each other out and get the, the day done. But as I mentioned before about, you know, sick days and the lack thereof, you just, it's busy. People, you know, get scheduled for a test and they want their test done. It's not like, you know, you don't say, well, sorry. I mean, I said to somebody over the holiday that the day after Thanksgiving, traditionally for radiologists, is an incredibly busy day. So many, many, most people have that Friday off. But in radiology, if you're working that day, you can expect it to just to just be blasted. And that's because a lot of people have the day off, so they put their tests on that day. You also mentioned that you looked forward to like consultations. Would you say that that was your best part of the day or is there something else? I don't know what the best part of my day would be. I think, you know... That, that's not really something that I could answer. I, I enjoyed that, and but it wasn't something that I really had a lot of control over either. I think it were, they were impromptu and, and, and it broke up the required work and just fun to see the colleagues and, and, and interesting to try to sort out what was going on with people. Would you be able to answer then what the worst part of your day would be? <laughs> When I found out I made a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully that didn't happen too often. But it's funny. I've never really thought about that, about a good or a bad part of my day. Yeah, Um, you're the first person who said that. Everyone else is, especially when I ask about the bad part, they're like, oh, this, (laughs) this, this, this. Yeah, no. I liked the variety. I liked doing a lot of different things. I liked the pace. I... In the beginning, when I started, it was it was slower. 
you know, people didn't just jump to imaging quite as much. And we actually enjoyed having lunch with my colleagues. But as time went by, you know, you would just go and grab something. So maybe that was the the worst part that there really wasn't any downtime. But mm-hmm. yeah. So switching gears a little bit to requirements. If someone knew they wanted to be radiologists and so they decided they declared pre-med as their major and undergraduate, what do you think would be important for them to study? Well, there are requirements about what you need to take. You need to take certain sciences. and But actually, I would say one of the very most important things as well, there's a couple things of being a physician overall. You have to be able to listen really well and communicate. And it's really important to be able to construct clear sentences. So I think, you know, being a good writer is a good idea and being a good communicator, which they kind of go hand in hand. That said, as I'm saying this, just like people come in all shapes and sizes and all different kinds of skill sets, physicians do too. And I think some people may go into radiology because they don't want to talk to patients all the time. And they could be perfectly good, fine radiologists as long as they can dictate a good report. And then I know you have to go to medical school to practice, but what opportunities are there for people who don't go to college? Like not necessarily, you know, doing the actual reading the scans, but what is there in that field? Yeah. So there are a lot of opportunities in in the medical field in a radiology department. There are nurses in a radiology department that do a lot, start a lot of IVs, give medication, really evaluate patients and help with procedures. The radiology technologist is key to a radiology department. They are the people who take the images. So they could be a specialist in doing plain film work. They could do mammography, which is a very specialized area. They could, you could become a sonographer. Sonographers do not need to be radiology technologists. They can just go on that path. If you were to become a CT technologist, a CAT scan technologist, or an MRI technologist, those people typically are radiation technologists first and then get specialized training. Nuclear medicine is a subspecialty of radiology that you can do without being a radiology technologist. All of these things are a radiology technologist or an RT, that's an associate's degree. Sometimes people have a bachelor's degree with it, but sometimes it can just be a two-year program. And the other you know, so you could say get an associate's degree in radiology technology, and then it may just be on-the-job training in CT and MRI, or it may be going to school for those things. So there's quite a bit in the department. Okay, and then one final question for you. What advice would you have for someone who has no idea what they want to be when they grow up? Who knows? You need to think about what you want in life, what kind of life 
you want to live and try to explore a lot of options. I think that there, for people who aren't really very academic and aren't interested in college, there's a lot of great trades that I think are good. But if you go to college, I would say, take a lot of different things, expose yourself to a lot of different ideas. Be willing to change tax if what you've picked doesn't seem like it's really the right thing. Okay, well, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Amy, for teaching us about being a radiologist. If any of our listeners have questions for Amy, you can contact her at amyyalair at gmail.com. That's A-M-Y-Y-A-L-E-L-O-E-H-R at gmail.com. Before we wrap up, who do you want me to interview next? Music teacher, sound engineer, record label professional, booking agent? Email me your ideas at realitycheckpodcast10 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.